We're going to be in Romans 8. And we're going to probably start around verse 15 or so. Today I'm going to talk about suffering. And nobody likes to talk about that. Nobody likes to experience suffering. In fact, most things that we do in our life, we get away from suffering. We try to make things easier. It's just a natural tendency that we have. But the Bible says that all those who are in Christ Jesus will suffer. And so our Lord makes it very clear that when you walk with me, you're going to be under persecution, you're going to be attacked, and you're going to suffer. And hopefully as we get through the message today, uh, we're going to be walking basically through uh, Romans 8, which gives us a uh, step-by-step, line-upon-line explanation of suffering and our attitudes to our suffering and the victory that we have in spite of this suffering. And being in Romans, uh, one of my favorite, probably my favorite book, but Romans 8, I always feel, is the high point of the Bible. That's the high mark of the Bible. I like to tell people if you're, if, if you're you know, if the Bible overwhelms you, uh, learn the book of Romans. If you learn the book of Romans, you basically have the whole gospel in a nutshell. So Romans 15, Romans 8, 15, says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And we see in 15 that uh, we've given a spirit of uh, accomplishment now, a spirit of acceptance instead of spirit of slavery. And we've been adopted. Back in uh, times when Paul was writing this, adoption was a very unique honor. In fact, adoption was almost better than a natural child because adoption said, I want you. I'm picking you out. In fact, an adopted child back then would have all the rights of the natural child. So the, the, the term that he uses, adoption, is fu- fully understood. <clears throat> and also, we could cry out, because the spirit of adoption, we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is a Hebrew term that says, Papa, Daddy. Very intimate. But not standoffish, but very intimate, drawn to him. Verse 17 says, And if children were also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now we can, be, uh, we can get this verse a little bit wrong here because it says, it says, if indeed we suffer. In other words, you can be an heir if you suffer. So you might want to come to the conclusion and say, well, you know, I, I guess I don't suffer enough. I'm going to have to suffer more because I'm not going to be an heir, a child of God, if I don't suffer. But what that word has really uh, means is seeing that, or in other words, it would say um, that instead of if indeed, it said seeing that, or surely we are being are, are, are suffering in this world. I used to read that, and I thought, uh-oh, I don't think I'm suffering enough. But it doesn't read that way at all. 
In verse 18, it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going, on, going to be revealed to us. And that first song, that first phrase that we had, was that the darkness is no comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed to us and in us right now. You know, today we live in a wealthy country. Uh, we have all our basic needs met. Uh, we have welfare programs. Uh, we have medical help, social welfare. Life expectancy is 79 years for men, 83 for women. Go figure. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. But in Paul's day, life expectancy was 30 to 45 years. Lower for women, because many of the uh, women died in childbirth. High infant death. Medical assistance was basic and primitive, and if you had got it at all, you probably had to be wealthy. People lived in close uh, to each other with poor hygiene, so disease spread quickly. Poverty was widespread. Violent force was frequently used to assert power. War and conflict were a part of life. Christians experienced persecution from both Jews and Gentiles. And thus, we're talking about a world in which suffering was intense, continuous, and real. And danger was a, uh, death was a constant danger, and hope was all they lived on. Hope is what they had. So it makes sense with some of the, the uh, letters that, all, uh, that Paul had wrote about hope. Hope was so, so vital to him. Well, looking at our world today, we have the threat of war. North Korea promises, I, she's, I'm going to use nuclear weapons if, if anything, uh, anything breaks out against us. We're going to use them. We see the invasion of, Korea, uh, of uh, Ukraine by Russia. They're committing war crimes right now, horrendous war crimes, bombing apartments, bombing buildings, bombing hospitals and schools. Homelessness is rampant in our large cities. If you ever want to uh, Google or go on YouTube and see the homelessness, it's unbelievable. New diseases are popping up all the time. Hospitals seem like they're always adding on. Drug use and sex trafficking. Borders in Texas and Arizona are overrun by migrants by the thousands. Mr. Trump put up uh, first an 18-foot wall and found there were, uh, migrants were getting over that, and then he put up a 30-foot wall. That's like three-story buildings. And think of, the, think of why they would come to the border like that. Some of them travel hundreds of miles with virtually the shirt on their back, and they come from a country that's ridden with crime and drugs. A horrible situation and they come to the United States. So just think of the suffering that they're experiencing to come to go through all that. They have little children in their arms. Some of them get up to that wall, but when they come down, they come down hard. They break their backs, they die. Fractured legs, skulls broken. Horrible situation. Government can't agree on the same principles. If you ever look on, on watch the news, it's a constant, constant, constant battle in our government. COVID and new strains of COVID. What's the new one out? Monkey pot or something? There'll be another one. There'll be another one. There'll be another one. 
And that's worldwide. Can you imagine something that got our attention worldwide? Worldwide. Every nation. And it's a disease of all things. You know, I think of that verse where it says, and when he comes, Jesus, when he comes, every eye will see him. And you know, you wonder, how is that going to happen? Well, it's going to be very simple. A lot of us are on our phones or our iPads, and somebody's going to take a picture, right? Look at that. He's coming. Who is that? Is that Jesus? Every eye will see him. At least that's the way I kind of perceive that. Climate disasters, fires, Europe, intense mega fires in Europe. And on our west, west part of the United States, floods the last couple days, catastrophic historic floods in Kentucky, Missouri, St. Louis area, um, Las Vegas. You guys got out of there just in time. Never, never uh, heights of the river seen before like that. Some people not only don't have a home, they don't have the land that the home is on. Fires, floods, tornadoes, horrific tornadoes this spring as in every year, hurricanes, excessive heat. Look at the excessive heat we've had, not only in this country, but in Europe, it's terrible. They reach temperatures they've never, ever had recorded before. That means drought. Some climate experts say, well, I'm going to go back. You know, Lake Mead, that is, because of the Hoover Dam, we created Lake Mead. That's drying up. You've probably seen reports on they're finding boats and stuff that have sunk years and years ago. Salt Lake City is getting lower. It's never been so low, recorded. Some climate experts say we have only 20 years left. And by, the time the, and by that time, the average temperature will be 120 degrees. And at 120 degrees, a lot of our trees will die, a lot of our animals will die, and crops won't be able to grow, which means we would have widespread starvation. Thousands, if not millions, of fatherless children, human reasoning and direction. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 says, But know this, hard times will come in the last days, where people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We also have rising prices on food and gas, rent and housing prices, high anxiety and stress. Millions are in counseling and on anxiety medication, high suicide rate. Aren't you glad you came to church today? But again, I want to reiterate that Paul is pointing out in Romans, a full report, a full vision of what's going on. So back to verse 18. This is what Paul says about that. 
He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. So he says there's no comparison. So whatever suffering is going, there's some horrible things going on in the world. We, you know, tried to name a few of them. But he said, that's not even a compare. You can't even compare it. And so I thought, what would that be like? It would be like if you had 100,000 cubic feet of dirt, you want it moved, and you said to this ant, will you move all this dirt over there? Or you could get an excavator in and have him move the dirt. It would be like no comparison. Well, what are you talking about? But Paul stresses this. There's no comparison. <clears throat> Verse 19 says, For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. It's almost like creation has, is thinking, you know, this is going to get better. Uh, this can't, it can't stay like this. This, this is horrible. It's just like uh, it, it knows something is coming. It knows, it has hope, it knows this can't always be this way. This isn't supposed to be this way. Verse 20. And I think this is really important that we, we get a hold of this. Paul says, For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who, subject, who subjected it, who would be God, and he ends that sentence, or, or that particular verse, but we, we know the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses, but he says, in hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. <clears throat> now that Greek word, futility, now remember, God subjected the earth to this. That, that, that Greek word is amatitis, uh, what that means is no purpose, vanity, chaotic, without direction or order, devoid of truth and appropriateness, no precise direction, describes something, uh, describe something that does not measure up to, to what is, in, is intended. Now, doesn't that look like the world today? The total chaos of the world and all the things that we, we, we spoke about here. Well, we know why. Why did that happen? Why was that subjected? Why did God subject the earth to that? We read back in, uh, in Genesis, we know Adam's sin. And this is what he said to Adam. He said, because you listened to your wife, not blaming the wife, although you could preach that if you wanted to, but it wouldn't be good. Cursed is a ground now because you have committed treason. The ground's going to be cursed because of you. You will now, by the sweat of your brow, try to make a living, to toil, to eat, to survive. Thistles and thorns will be growing up. That would probably mean you have... what, what, What happened was, all of a sudden, instead of a pristine atmosphere, you have some... You have a deep growl within creation. All of a sudden, animals started fighting with one another, eating one another, devouring one another. Diseases slowly started to come out. Thistles and thistles and thistles and thorns. Thistles and thorns. Say that ten times. Thistles and thorns. Thistles and thorns. Uh, deserts started to appear. Plants lived a shorter life. 
and we know that humankind lives a shorter life. He said, you came from dust, he told Adam, and you're going back to dust. That's what you shall return to. Romans 5.12 says, through one man's sin, through one man's sin spread to all, there was death, decay, corruption. And also we know there's something else in the world today. There's someone else. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember, we're talking about suffering and who our opponents are. A criminal rogue angel named Satan who would destroy all of mankind if he could or make it as miserable as he possibly could. He now has temporary authority to to raise havoc on the earth. And here's some scriptures to back that up. 1 John 5.19 says that we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one or under the influence of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Ephesians 2.1-3 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler and power of the air, which would be Satan, the spirit that now works in the disobedient. Ephesians six twelve through 13 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, if there wasn't a, an enemy roaming around, why would he say this? For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist an evil day and having prepared for everything to take your stand. And in John 16, 11, it mentions that the ruler of this world is judged. So we need to make it clear that there is a demonic force out there attacking us. But we have victory. Also, he says in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10, says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is pouring around like a roaring lion, looking for someone he can devour. Resist him. There's our call. We can resist him. Firm in the faith throughout, uh, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. Now, if we don't know this, if we're not aware of that, We can be confused and wonder why or who is doing these things. Why is this happening? Or someone might say, well, why is God doing this? Or why can't God stop this? Or or, or why, why, why does he just let this go on? Well, now I know something. We know that the world is subjected to decay and disorder and death. There's no mother nature. I know you know that. You know, a lot of things, well, you know, Mother Nature, you know, really. And I also know that Satan is loose on the earth. Now, those two things, we are set in as believers. So, we look at that word futility, how God subjected the earth to futility, creation to futility. 
And you say, well, wait a minute. I, I, you know, I was just out of Nova Scotia. It's so beautiful out there. It's so, oh, it's just pristine. It's gorgeous. So we go to different islands and go different places. And, and you know, it's beautiful. Well, that's, by God's grace, there's, those things are still left over. But the world is still under that subjection of futility. But we've got to remember, this was all subjected in hope. In verse 21, it says uh, that I read earlier, creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay to the glorious freedom of God's children. God does not want it to remain this way. He's done something about it. When we ask, well, what's God going to do? He's already done it. He's already done it. Verse 23 says, not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we know that our bodies are connected, uh, you know, to the same thing uh, the world, the creation is. In fact, we have some scriptures for that. We know, knowing that our physical bodies are linked to decayed corruption also. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5 says, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, in this body, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed, so that mortality might be swallowed up by life, And now the one who prepared uh, us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Also, 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 55 says, For this corruptible body, this is this one, must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immorality. (coughs) Immortality, sorry. It was clothed with immorality but it must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, then this mortal body is clothed with immortality. And then the saying that is written will take place, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? We have lost loved ones. But there's no victory. There was a victory until Jesus came. But when he came, when he came with death, through his death, burial, resurrection, when he rose, that means we can rise too. When, we are, when, when he arose, that was us too. That's you too. We arise with him. He conquered death. So Paul says here, where's the victory in the grave? We look at a, we look at, at a, a, a loved one's passing and, and our, our minds can turn, this is a very, very temporary thing. Very temporary. In fact, our, my loved one that just died our loved ones that just died, you know the minute they open their eyes, they see Jesus? We can't compare anything with that. This is the believer's stand on suffering. So when we look at our natural bodies, hair falls out, skin gets saggy, limbs, limbs get weak, Hearing isn't so good. Things break down. 
But we've got to remember one thing. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8.11, it says that he will give life to our mortal bodies. So every minute that we have where we're healthy and well, we need to thank God for that. Thank you, Lord, that you've chosen my body as your tabernacle, as the place that you dwell. Verse 24 and 25, now in this hope, <clears throat> the hope we just spoke of, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because he who hopes, who hopes for what he sees? If you have something in front of you, you don't have to hope for it. It's there. I got it. I know that. <clears throat> now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with patience. You know, that word patience... It's the same word, it is uh, translated also perseverance. A lot of times you look at patience and say, uh, you know, we say, well, gee, you know, I, or, or even hope. We say, I hope, I hope I get that job, or, or uh, um, I, I, hope he, I hope they get here, or something like that, because it's, it's an uncertainty thing. But Christian hope isn't like that. Christian hope is a sure thing. So the word perseverance means hold at all costs. It's almost like a military term. It is the attitude of the soldier who in the thick of battle is not dismayed but fights on stoutly whenever the difficulties, whatever they are, whatever comes. In other words, hold until relieved. You know, when I started out uh, message today when I, I forgot to, to, to say uh, uh, you, some of you might recognize that phrase hold until relieved that's from the movie The Longest Day a war movie made in the 60's it had a ton of actors in it John Wayne to Fabian to Paul Anka you name it and in that movie there was a British unit this is when the Allied forces were advancing into Normandy and Omaha Beach, Utah Beach, and uh, marching uh, through France, and there was a bridge that was vital. They had to have that bridge. And at that time, the Nazis had taken over that bridge, and they had given this British military unit, you've got to take that bridge, and you've got to secure it. And the last words that the officer in charge heard was, hold until relieved. Hold until relieved. That's the same message we get today. Verse 26, 27, and in the same way the Spirit also helped us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Imagine that. We cannot pray uh, the way we should but someone is there to help us. The Holy Spirit living inside us helps us, intercedes with a perfect prayer to our Heavenly Father. Verse 27, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We always want to be praying according to the will of God. And sometimes we don't know what that is, but the Holy Spirit does, and he prays through us. 
Amazing. Amazing help we have there. 29, verse 29 and 30. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that uh, he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. If you ever want to know the will of God, you, you can, there's really one will of God. It's for you and I to be conformed to Christ. To be conformed to the image of Christ. So when he says uh, he foreknew, we can look down at verse 30, and it says, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. If we back up and take the word foreknew, we know that God, his knowledge is limitless, he knows everything, so he knew from the beginning of time who was going to take his Savior as their Savior and be saved and believe and inherit eternal life. He knew that. So when he had that knowledge, when he knew that, then he went to work, and now he predestined. And he says, oh, I know who they are. They, they, they chose me to be their God. So I'm going to predesign their life. I'm going to start that little process of predestined. And then he called. And that word called means to draw unto him. So way back in, in the beginning of time, he, start, he knew who he was going to draw, and he started that process to draw, to pull them in. You know, you're here today. You're drawn here. You're pulled in. Isn't that amazing? It's just... It's overwhelming to think that he calls us, and then when he calls us, he says, I've justified him. Nobody else, there's never going to be another court in, in the universe that's ever going to, you're going to stand before and be found guilty or not guilty because you're already declared not guilty. You're justified because of Christ. And then he glorified. Well, now he's going to turn and he's going to open things up. You know, we started out this, this uh, in verse 18. It says, you know, we can't compare the trouble we're having now to the glory that's going to be revealed. And he's just, I, I, you know, sometimes believers through the past have had a glimpse of that. And, and when they have, they, they just, it zonked them out. They hit, they just, you know, Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw his train, his mighty, you know, and he said, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, when, when John has re had his revelation, he, he just, he didn't even get to the good part. He just got to the angel, you know, and, and he was just like a dead man. So in this glory that it's going to be revealed to us, we have to take it by faith. Because I think if we've seen some of it, we would just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we can handle it. It's that good. Verse 31, getting down to the end here. And Paul asks this question. He goes, what are we going to say about this? I mean, what, what do we say about all these things? If God's for us, who's against us? 
If he didn't spare his own son, verse 32, but offer him up for us all, how will, how will he not give us all things? If he's given us Jesus, which is his best, we get everything else. He gives us, there, there's, nothing will stop from what he wants to give us. Who is the one who condemns? See, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he's been raised, and he also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. If we go back a couple of verses, we see the Holy Spirit praying for us, who lives inside of us, and now we have Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, praying for us. We have two divine beings praying for us. Will that help us in our trouble? Will that, will that help us hold until relieved? Verse 35, 36, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction? Now, all these things that are mentioned can happen, has happened, and maybe will, and probably will happen to Christians. Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger of sword. In fact, he even quotes uh, the next verse, 36. He quotes uh, Psalm 44:22. He says, Because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Why would he put that in there? I think he's, Paul's giving us a realistic look at what a Christian life is. Remember when we started out, he said, All who are in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Make no mistake, we'll be persecuted. But he wants to strengthen us and bolster us up. Christians have been persecuted, tortured, killed for centuries. We see in the Bible, Stephen was stoned. All the disciples died horrible deaths, except John. And many, many others. John the Baptist. Beheaded. Paul finishes this. He says, no, no. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. More than just overcoming something, but taking everything. Everything the enemy had and bringing it back. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death Angels are rulers, things present, things to come, nor powers, nor conspiracy theories. I just added that. Nor heights or depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So many of our songs this morning were about the love of God. The love of God is so real. But you and I have to take that by faith. We have to believe that. We have to download that. We have to renew our mind. We have to change our thinking to understand no matter what happens in the world today, the love of Christ will never leave us. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's his promise. And he wants us to have that anchored in our heart 
in every minute of our life when we face these things. We don't have to ask these questions. What's going on? Why is this happening? Oh, I know why. We have enemies. God is a good God, a loving God, never fails us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Paul's revelation of this, to be able to write this down, Lord. To get us ready, to strengthen us, to establish us, and to hold our ground. Hold until relieved. Lord, you've given us everything we possibly need to fight this battle. You are the conqueror that went ahead of us, and you destroyed the power of death. So death no longer has any victory over us. Any trouble no longer has any sustaining victory over us. Love never fails. Love never leaves us. And Lord, we thank you for that.